and we'd sent this mailer which was literally a stone in like um uh, some hay laying in some hay um and it was a pebble from the beach and we just put it in there we'd mailed it to the client and we said we're only a stone's throw away and the client who'd given us the business had actually posted on his blog whilst we were driving back the reason he gave us the business was he felt the, the mailer was so creative welcome to pipelineology the business to business podcast for agencies consultants coaches and businesses looking to build a pipeline of hot prospects ready to buy their products and services never wonder where your next client is coming from to learn more about our strategies services and for resources on building your sales pipeline visit pipelineology.com now on to the show Hello and welcome everybody to another episode of the Pipelineology podcast. I'm your host, Gary Ruplinger, and today I am excited to be joined by Mike Maynard, the Managing Director of Napier. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me on the podcast, Gary. Well, I'm, I am looking forward to that. Did I say Napier right? Did I, did I get it right this yeah, time? Yeah, that was perfect. That was perfect, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. Excellent. So for anybody who's not familiar with you, could you just give a quick uh, kind of background about you, a little bit about your story and how, how you got here? How I got here? I, purely by accident, I think, is, is the honest truth. Um, so when I was at school, I always wanted to be a mathematician, um, which is a very sad goal but that's what I wanted to do <laughs> right up until basically the last year at school when I got a chance um, to help build a lighting desk to control the theatre lights at school and I, I enjoyed it so much I thought forget about that career plan don't like that career plan um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go and be an engineer so I did an engineering degree started doing electronics design um, and realized actually I probably wasn't a very good engineer I was quite good at the design bit I was terrible at the getting things into production bit um, so I thought, well, what could I do? I want to talk about engineering, but I don't actually want to do it. So there was technical support. So I moved into technical support because that was the obvious thing to do. Um, and after a while, I was running the technical support team for a company across Europe. Um, and then I realized that there wasn't really anywhere to go unless I wanted to move to the States in terms of career. So I thought, well, you know, I need another carefully planned career move. Oh, marketing sounds fun. Um, and so I moved into marketing. I became the European marketing manager. And then a few years after that, I was at a, a training course, actually, a residential training course. We had a few glasses of wine on the last night. Um, and someone said to me, I said, you should run your own business. And I think I think they were actually quite nice because I think what they were saying was, God, I really wouldn't want to be your boss, Mike. You'd be a nightmare. Um, but they said it very politely. And I took it as you should run your own business. And actually, about three months later, the agency I was working with, um, the founders decided they wanted to retire. And I got approached and I thought, well, you know, again, clearly part of my career plan. I'll go run an agency, having never worked an agency a day in my life. Um, and that's how I got here. So it was... Um, kind of a, a, a random route through technical sales, through engineering, and, and ultimately into marketing. Well, very cool. So I know we had a kind of a list of topics that we were talking about before the, the call here. So if you're good with jumping into it, I'm good with it. Um, Sounds good. So I think one of the topics we, we talked about here is when marketing campaigns don't work. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's always a tricky thing to ask someone who runs a marketing agency because we like to pretend they all work, but they don't. Oh, yeah, um, absolutely. <laughs> and and th there's, there's a few reasons why they don't work. So 
And one is really around poor planning. So if you don't understand your audience, um, you don't know what you're trying to achieve, you, you haven't really thought it through, then you know there's a really good chance you're going to do something that, that actually isn't going to be effective. Um, another approach is, I, I guess, what I call ego marketing, where people really talk to themselves. They talk about what they think they'd like to hear rather than what their potential customers want to hear. Um, and, and that is a real classic way because it, it always looks quite good. It feels quite good internally, but it never quite generates the results. And then lastly, and I think this is sometimes the hardest one to spot, is when people try and do too much because they're working really hard, they're trying really hard, but they end up spreading themselves so thin. Um, and what you hear is people talking about, you know, the challenge of, of breaking through the noise in marketing. And, and if they're talking about that, actually what they're saying is, you know, we've spread ourselves too thin. And so therefore we're not able to break through the noise. So I guess in the interest of not spreading yourselves too thin, is there, are there certain areas where you, if you're starting to work with a client, say you're going to look and say, here's where we want to start or here's the one or maybe two things you want to focus on to start uh, start with yeah and that that depends upon the client depends upon the campaign but typically you know you start from um what the client wants to achieve so what their goals are um, and we have a process where we take four steps where we look at the current situation and the goals we look at the um uh, the audience and the messaging, um, then we execute, then we measure. So, you know, that's our four-step process. And it's really at that start, we look at what people are trying to achieve. And quite often in business to business, you find that actually what you want to achieve is to reach a fairly small number of customers, but they're the big customers, the customers that are going to make a difference to your business. And so quite often, a lot of accounts are, are really, you know, driven by, you know, some element of account-based marketing. So targeting, you know, either specific group of accounts or even specific lists of accounts. So account-based marketing then, what you said that that is essentially looking at um, just a, a very small list of accounts. Is this like where essentially I have them listed by name? Is that kind of what you're saying there? Or I guess maybe could you explain uh, account-based marketing a little bit more? Yeah, no, that's, a, that's a great question. And you, you, you're absolutely right. A lot of clients have them listed by name. Um, but people do different approaches to account-based marketing and people have different numbers of accounts they're targeting. So, you know, some some clients might be targeting, you know, maybe 10 or 20 really key accounts are going to make a difference. Um, other clients might have hundreds or even a thousand accounts. Um, and the ones with a thousand might be focusing on, you know, particular characteristics of the company. So certain size companies, certain market. Um, but where I find the, you know, the impact is unbelievably powerful is where a, com uh, where a client can come to us and say, do you know what? These 10 companies, if we won two of these 10 companies, it would transform our business. Um, because then you can put all your effort into putting the money into um, attracting those companies that are going to transform the client's business. Whereas, you know, you could win 100 smaller accounts that really are kind of just going to be noise. Um, so quite often, yeah, it does come down to a specific list of companies. Um, and if you think about, you know, some industries, actually, that's not very hard. Um, you know, if you're trying to sell into the automotive industry, there's a pretty small list of automotive manufacturers. And actually, the truth is, you know, there's a relatively small list of people who supply them, um, certainly in terms of electronics, for example, or in terms of other components like tires. Um, so if you're trying to sell into industries, actually, a lot of the time, it's not hard to generate a list. It sounds like it's really complicated. 
but a lot of the time our clients know exactly who they want to target. It's, it's interesting you mentioned the automotive space. Uh, down the hall from me, like literally if I throw a rock, I could hit their window, but it's the basically the agency that handles most of the uh, American-based manufacturers. So awesome. uh, Ford, or GM, uh, Stellantis now, or Chrysler, but uh, their, their agency is just down the hall from here. And yeah, that's basically what they do is they run all their TV campaigns. So... And they just have an office here because that's where the headquarters are for those American-based companies. So. And, and they're a great example of a company that, even if they don't realize they're doing it, that agency is probably running an account-based marketing campaign because they know who they want to attract. Um, and so they, they've got to be really focused on a small number of customers that you know clearly can make a huge difference to them because you know all these automotive guys spend large amounts of money. So if, if you're saying, hey, this sounds, this sounds like a cool idea, when it comes to getting in front of these people, do you have any recommendations on how to do that? Because I'm guessing this probably isn't uh, your typical Facebook ads or, or Google AdWords type of, type of thing. Well, the great thing is it can be Facebook ads. It can be Google ads. It, LinkedIn, for a lot of B2B companies, is a big part of their, um, uh, their account-based marketing strategy. So you can be doing those familiar digital ads and focusing the budget just on particular uh, customers. So, so yeah, you, you can use all those tactics, but equally you can do crazy things. You can send mailers that are something more than a postcard. Um, I mean, we famously had um, a project where we were, we decided we wanted to pitch local um, uh, to local clients or local potential clients. And because we're quite focused in terms of being, you know, really looking at technology companies, there weren't very many. So magically, we had an ABM campaign because it was relatively easy to get the list of uh, companies. And so we went to pitch one of them. And I remember coming back and we'd won the pitch and I was so delighted. And I walked through the door um, of the office and I was about to do the big announcement. We've won it. It's great. And someone said, we know it wasn't you. And I was like, what do you mean? And we'd sent this mailer, which was literally a stone in like um, uh, some hay, laying in some hay. Um, and it was a pebble from the beach. And we just put it in there. We'd mailed it to the client and we said, we're only a stone's throw away. And the client who'd given us the business had actually posted on his blog whilst we were driving back. The reason he gave us the business was he felt the, the mailer was so creative. Um, and obviously, in that case, the mailer didn't cost as much. The postage was pretty expensive. Stones are not cheap to ship. Um, <laughs> but uh, but we were able to do something really different. It was all hand done. It was you know very very focused, and we could we could know exactly who to send it to. So the great thing about ABM is is whilst it's about focusing down, it's not about restrictions, and that's what makes me so excited about. ABM is actually it gives you more freedom. It gives you more opportunity to be creative. It gives you more opportunity to perhaps do things you couldn't do to ten thousand uh, potential customers, but you could do to ten. Um, you know, we, we're we're currently working with um, somebody who runs a, a, a bakery patisserie business um, to send uh, patisserie items to people, and it's great fun. You know, and we can do something that I guarantee a lot of other people are not going to do because they're targeting, you know, 500 potential clients um, and they just can't spend the money getting handmade patisseries sent around. So to me, I think, you know, ABM, yes, it, it, it can be Facebook and you can target Facebook ads down to pretty much an individual if you want to. Um, but it can be so many other things. And I think don't be restricted 
um, by by you know a particular channel. So when you when you think about these, then like roughly how big is your list size for something like this, or uh, like when you did the stones throw campaign? Because that, that's that's brilliant. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna I might have to borrow that one, but. Um, what, how many people were, were part of the, the targeting for that? Or how many companies were you trying to, to meet with for that? So, so that's a great example of, of really why there's not an answer to the right number of, uh, of companies to be on an ABM list. Is I, From what I remember, there was about 14 companies. And it was because we identified 14 companies within, I think it was a 20-mile range of the office. Um, and it had nothing to do with us wanting 14 or wanting 20 or 10 or any other particular number. It was just that was the number of companies we identified. Um, and so I think it's all about, you know, again, focusing on who you know would be your ideal customer and then really making sure the campaign that you deliver to them is great. Um, that campaign would have worked just as well at 30 or 50 um, clients or potentially indeed at five, you know, if that was all we could find, um, because it was an opportunity to pitch people with, you know, something that really differentiated us, we we're local, um, and pitch them with something really creative. So in that case, you know, the, the number was small, we've run other ABM campaigns to bigger lists. I mean, typically, we don't run huge ABM campaigns. So we, we might run to maybe 50 companies. Um, but equally, where you've got, um, you know, large enterprises, um, and they might be able to put five or 10 people to run an ABM campaign. There they can realistically drive very, very large campaigns. And they can, you know, it's not unusual to see a campaign where um, a thousand companies are targeted. Um, and, you know, I've, I've seen campaigns where people have targeted a thousand companies. And they've had a thousand custom landing pages, one for each particular um, company. And of course, they're not completely bespoke they're, they're built using a formula you know you've got a company name you've got a logo you've got a little bit of text that's specific to them a little bit of generic text um, and maybe a generic form but you can build something that just feels absolutely personalized without too much effort and you can build it today with you know real scale if you've got some resources to support that that's very cool. So when you're when you're putting these together in terms of maybe touch points, how many different ways are you trying to find these people or get them to respond? So that that I think really gets to the crux of what ABM is all about. And I love that question. Um, and, and the simple answer is as many as possible, um, because what we're trying to do is reduce the spread, the breadth of the campaign, focus it down and really get deep interaction um with those clients so um typically you're looking for as many touch points as you can um and uh you know it, it does vary from company to company so we had um you know one abm campaign where we were trying to help a client get into a particular potential customer they tried through sales they knew they knew the company this was a one company abm campaign um and they were just desperate to get a meeting mainly because um, the CEO had told the European sales director he had to get a meeting. So, um, you know, he, he was under pressure and it's hard to break through that telephone wall sometimes. Um, so we targeted one company um, and actually most of the, the people we targeted probably only had one touch, but we got a meeting. 
probably luck more than you know a brilliant campaign whereas other campaigns we've been running um you know we're looking not so much for, from the napier point of view when we're looking to attract clients it's not how many touches we want with the client it's how many touches per month or per quarter that we're getting um because with things like selling um you know marketing services that can have quite a long lead time to actually go from you know being um known to the client so having the awareness all the way through to them actually deciding to give you an opportunity. You're, you're not going to get a sales cycle to, to be complete in a month or even a quarter. You know, quite often we have an, a, you know, a year or even two years in that sales cycle. So it's really hard to build an ABM campaign for two years or any campaign that runs for two years. So quite often what we'll do is we'll chop it down and we'll say, right, we've got this list of clients. We're looking to get this many touches within this quarter so we're looking to do this activity this activity and this activity and all together that will will achieve our goal so you're working with pretty pretty long lead times then in terms of for these larger accounts in terms of how long it takes them to go from first touch to you know signing that check and ready to and, and doing business with you i absolutely i mean you know some of our clients would say we've got very long lead times we work with e-commerce clients um who b2b e-commerce um, and yes, they'll do ABM campaigns, so they'll focus on their key clients, but they'll have very short sales cycles. Um, we also work with other clients that have very long sales cycles. I mean, our, our client, who I think is our record, talks about a 20-year sales cycle, Holy cow. Um, which is <laughs> mind-boggling. Um, and they have to do ABM. Um, they, they actually make baggage handling systems for airports, um, and they have to do ABM because actually there's very few airports that are going to install like a, a baggage system that that is one of their major deployments um so they've got a very small market you know maybe one maybe two airports a year um would have this sort of system so they're very focused but they've got to try and engage a client over 20 years and, and that again is tough and again the way you do it is not by trying to do a 20-year plan for marketing um you know i can only imagine what you you'd be doing if you were planning from even 10 years ago, but I mean, 20 years ago, we'd be running campaigns on MySpace at the moment, which probably wouldn't be effective. <laughs> yeah, 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 I'm just trying to think back, if that's 2011, what, what all the big technologies would have been back <laughs> back then versus versus even just now. So if somebody was, was trying to do this and said, okay, this sounds like a good plan or my company needs this put in. If they wanted to launch a campaign, what was something, what would be something you'd recommend they could start with today in terms so, of? Yeah, so this is a great question for this podcast because the first thing I'd do is I'd get marketing and sales to sit down together. And, and that is something we've not really talked about about ABM, but is one of the keys to success with ABM is to have the marketing and sales team working together. And it's great because... When you look at very broad campaigns, you know, the, the marketing team might talk about a whole number of ad impressions. Um, and the sales team are just going, well, why do I care about an ad impression? You know, is more good or does more mean it's less focused? Or I don't know. But when you talk about ABM, you talk about client companies, customer companies, you talk about the decision makers in those companies, you talk about the buying committee, you talk about the things that salespeople not only know and understand, but also care about. So this is fantastic, because you've got the sales team suddenly seeing value from marketing and seeing a really clear value. And you've got the marketing team able to use this knowledge from sales. So with the two working together, 
that's got to be the way to start a plan because there, there you're pulling all your knowledge together about these customers, about the people who make the decisions. And from that, you'll be able to then build a marketing plan that really uses different tactics. And as I say, you know, it can be a wide range of different tactics. So how do you get sales teams and marketing teams on the same page? Because I feel like a lot of times that's like herding cats, you know? Um, well, I think, you know, I, 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 and personally, having been on the sales side and been on the marketing side, I think a lot of it is down to marketing talking the language of sales. Because I'm going to be honest, I see sales talking the language of the business. The business cares about, you know, how much revenue they get sales talk about revenue um you know marketing talks about awareness and perception it, it's too remote so the first step is really to get a marketing team that's able to talk to sales about business goals and those tend to be sort of sales language conversations it, you know it tends to be things like how many customers are you going to acquire you know what are you going to sell to them what's the value of the customer um you know what products they're going to buy you know all of this kind of stuff and and i think if you get people talking together like that and you show marketing that sales actually understands the customer and you show um, sales that marketing cares about selling product rather than making you know something they think looks nice, um, suddenly you, you have this realization from two sides that actually they shouldn't fight each other, which, which happens a lot in organizations. But they're really, you know, both aligned and both heading towards the same goal. And to me, that's, you know, that's really exciting. And when that happens, it, it really helps make those ABM campaigns more effective. Well, very cool. So is it, you said, is when you're trying to measure uh, success on this, are you looking at uh, number of responses generated? Are you looking at meetings booked? Or is it actual closed sales? Or what are some of the, I guess, uh, key metrics or KPIs for, for something like an account boys, account based man marketing campaign. Can't talk today. Yeah. So, so that's a great question. And I think it depends a lot on the situation. Um, and sometimes sales are the right people to tell you what is the, the correct metric. Now, if you're running an e-commerce business, probably sales value matters. I mean, that's very measurable. You've got a very short, um, sales cycle, you know, so, sales really matters. On the other hand, if you've got, you know, a five a 10 or a 20 year sales cycle, measuring sales is completely the wrong thing to do, because whatever you do now is not going to impact for another 20 years. Um, so there's, there's really important to understand what needs to be done. And that's something that needs to be, I think, discussed between sales and marketing. You know, salespeople love meetings. Um, and so sales are always going to push towards the next meeting, the next meeting, the next meeting. And that's fine. But also there can be influences in the buying committee who you want to reach. So, um, for example, you might want to reach, uh, you know, chief financial officer um, because whatever you're selling is very high value and ultimately it's going to go to them for sign off. The CFO is never going to take a meeting about the product if it's a technical product. Um, but the CFO might ask very difficult questions. So what you want to do is preempt that. And there may be a white paper you've got that targets CFOs. So it could be your goal from a, you know one part of your ABM campaign is to get a certain number of CFOs to download a white paper. Um, and that could be a very simple goal. It's something that perhaps is, is you know, a little alien maybe to the sales team um, and the marketing team perhaps feel more familiar with it. 
But equally, you know, a, another element might be we, we've got this profile of decision makers and we know that we need to get in front of them and demonstrate our product, whatever it is, whether it's software or physical product. Um, and so then you might want to measure sales meetings and demos. Um, and to me, I think it's about, you know, understanding that buying committee, understanding how it works and where you're strong, where you're weak, and really, you know, building up those strengths, but also addressing the weaknesses. Um, and almost all suppliers have significant weaknesses within the buying committee. I mean, typically, they the weaknesses apply to more members of the buying committee than the strengths do, because probably you've got a salesperson talking to maybe one, two, three members of the buying committee. Um, so to me, it's 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 all about picking the right metrics. Um, and, and that's really done through understanding, you know, this process or the, the journey that the, the uh, customer goes through to buy the product. Um, and that's ultimately what you get out of a really good discussion between marketing and sales. So when you're doing this, do you find yourself targeting multiple people within the same company? Like in your CFO example, are you also targeting maybe uh, people that would influence the CFO that are more likely to take the meeting while simultaneously trying to influence the CFO to be favorable to the company once that happens? Absolutely. And I think that's... Um... That's a really good point. I mean, I mean, I'm trying to stay away from marketing jargon, having said that marketers, you know, talk in jargon and, and don't really talk the language of business. I mean, the term that marketers use, obviously, is customer journey, I, I mentioned, but also personas. Um, and typically, you will have um, a number of people within any of your customers that can be characterized as a kind of stereotype. Um, and so you might have the decision maker. And if you're selling to, you know, IT directors, IT directors in general are fairly similar. Um, they're fairly similar people. You know what they want, you know what they care about, you know what they don't want to hear. Um, but you might also have the CFO, as you said, you might have the CEO, and they require very different things. So the, the interests they have, the concerns they have are different, the needs they have are different. You know, frankly, the level of technical understanding and the ability to, you know, perhaps understand the product you're selling might be very different. Um, so it's all about understanding those different people and being able to, to create marketing content that really resonates with them, that works well, that they understand, that they trust and ultimately helps them say yes to the, to the sale. And that again is a, you know, this real benefit of focusing down is as you focus down in terms of number of customers, you can actually do some personalization. You, you've got more time, more budget, so you can personalize content that works for the CFO or CEO or the IT manager, whichever one you, know, you want to target with each particular element of the campaign. Cool. So maybe if we, we kind of circled back to the beginning then, when we started out with what doesn't work. In, in terms of this, what are some of the, the pitfalls or mistakes people make when trying to roll out uh, one of these uh, account-based marketing campaigns? That's, I, I mean, that's an interesting question. And we see, we see different problems. So, um, you know, one problem we see is um, people trying to roll out to a large number of, of companies straight away. Um, another problem we see is people running out to a very small number, but expecting great results. Um, and I think ultimately it comes down to really needing to plan a sequence of campaigns. So um, most people, if they're sensible, will actually start out with maybe one or two accounts they're targeting. Um, and there'll be accounts they know well, that the sales team knows well, that they can get a lot of feedback from, 
um, and really see if if what they're doing makes an impact because you don't always know what tactic's going to be the most effective. And so you don't want to spend, you know, money targeting a, a thousand accounts when you could actually learn with one or two accounts. So again, focus down. But at the same time, don't focus down and expect the whole world to change because it's not going to, um, or it, you're going to be lucky. I mean, I mentioned one, one opportunity where we, we had one company and we were successful. It's luck whether you're successful because it, a lot depends on timing. Um, so I would say build a program to do an initial, you know, one or two target customer um, kind of learning process, then roll it out maybe to 10 um, and start making it a bit more commercial. But don't necessarily expect results from those early stages that are measurable in terms of sales or in terms of changes to the business. Um, but as you scale up, then you can start looking for, for the results. So you're more looking for you know, the signs things are working. And it's things like salespeople saying, you know, do you know what? So-and-so mentioned they saw an ad or they, you know, they asked me a question, which clearly meant they've been to our website or maybe you're tracking people on the website with marketing automation. So it's those little signs that show that you're doing the right thing, but you're not necessarily going to get the end result straight away. So don't be over ambitious, either in terms of the number of companies or if you're going small and focused in terms of the results. I think, I think those are the two things you've got to be prepared to experiment. Um, and so if you put pressure on yourself, either by the fact that anything you do is targeting a thousand accounts, therefore costing a lot of money, or anything you do has to deliver a sale, you tend to be less willing to experiment. So you're not getting any benefit from, you know, really understanding what those targeted customers actually want and what kind of marketing works with those people. I love it. Are there any questions I haven't asked you yet, Mike? Hi, you're, you're, you're just putting some gold out here, Saj. Just I'll let you keep going. <laughs> um, do you know what? I think I think the one thing I'd say is a question people ask is, is can ABM be applied to anything? And to a large extent, I think the answer is yes. Um, and, and I would absolutely say, don't get hung up on the term. Don't get hung up on this fact that you've got to do account-based marketing and it, it means this or it means this or it means this. And, you know, if you want to, to go and find the definitions, there are organizations that will tell you there's three types of ABM and this is the only way to do it. And it, just forget that. Think about focusing your marketing budget down onto the potential customers who are going to make the biggest difference to your business. And if you can do that, from my point of view, A, you're doing ABM which is great, but more importantly, you're going to get better results and spreading that money far and wide. Um, and so to me, I'd say, you know, don't overthink it, give it a go and just think about, you know, how you can reach the people who are most likely to really transform your business. And, you know, I'd really like people to, to give it a try. Oh, very cool. Well, if somebody is uh, looking to explore this further with you or get some more information about you, where, uh, where should we send them? Um, well, if they want information um, just generally, we've got a, a website. So um, it's napierb2b.com um, is our website. Um, if people want to connect with me, I mean, very, very happy to uh, talk to people over LinkedIn. Um, if you search for Mike Maynard um, and find the Mike Maynard at Napier, you'll, you'll find me. Um, or, you know, indeed, if anybody wants to email with me with, with specific questions, you know, I know your listeners will uh, very thoughtful people, they'll come back with great questions. So they're very welcome just to email me. My email address is mike at napierb2b.com. All right. Well, very generous of you to give out your email address, I'm sure. <laughs> sure. 
just uh, everybody be good with that, please. Uh, <laughs> but uh, no, please, please do reach out to Mike if you have questions. Uh, we'll put make sure we put your website and LinkedIn profile in the show notes in case anybody does want to connect. And again, they've got your email address if they just want to message you directly. Uh, Mike, thanks so much for coming on the show. I, I know I learned a lot. Uh, thanks for sharing uh, some of that information with us. I really like that Stone's Throw campaign. Like I said, I might might be borrowing that one. It's pretty clever. But uh, thanks, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks so much for all the questions, Gary. I've really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Pipelineology podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's episode and look forward to seeing you on the next one. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider giving us a review on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you.